Welcome back to another exciting uh, episode of the Growth Podcast. Uh, this week we're switching it up a little bit, still around personal development and growth, but with a keen focus towards HR issues and personal development in your place of work. And uh, remember also, subscribe, like, share, and just, you know, click the notification bell so that um, you are able to get notifications for every new episode of the podcast. My guest for this week, um, he is one of the biggest HR gurus I know in the country, uh, and uh, he's going to unpack a lot of things, and he is not going to hold back. There's so much uh, to learn from this gentleman, and that is Mr. Justin Kangwa. Mr. Kangwa, welcome to the Growth Podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Swilanj. Um, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I, I personally look forward to learning so much from you. Uh, based on the few interactions we've had in the past, I know that there's a lot of knowledge that is yet to be unpacked. <laughs> Let, let's, let's start, first of all, with the general situation in terms like in Zambia. How easy, first of all, is it for someone who's qualified with their qualification to get a job in the country? I think get, getting a job is, is not very easy. Because one of the things we need to acknowledge is the fact that uh, every year our universities and colleges keep churning out um, uh, people are trained. Yeah. But now, when they get, get into the field, before they get into the field, at college, at university, they are told, in fact, they are trained to go and work. That's the emphasis. They are not trained to go and create employment. So as a result, I think we have a, a big challenge in the country, probably not just Zambia, but maybe uh, Africa in general. People at university knowing that one day I'm going, I'm going to graduate and look for a job. When they get into the industry, they find that uh, jobs are not there. Recently, I was uh, reading, I think, an article shared by one of, um, a, one of a, a fellow HR uh, practitioner. That must be Chandra, who said, the bus for employment is full. Meaning to say, there are no more vacancies. Now, let's assume that is true. It means that the people who are getting out of college and university can only hope to get jobs if those who are in jobs either quit to get into the informal sector, or they die, or they retire. That's the only way that people who are, who are coming out of university and college will be able to get jobs. So yes, you are right. There is very little opportunity for people who are coming out of college, coming out of university to get jobs. Great. And, and, and now, um, one of the things that are very important for job seekers speaks to the conversation around your CV and submitting your resume. First of all, let's, let's, let's start from there. What's the difference between your CV and your resume? Normally, I think to put it simply, a resume is taken to be something very, very brief. That will just highlight um, maybe your key skills, your key knowledge your key qualifications. A CV is normally longer, longer in terms of um, what, what it contains. But a resume will usually contain very brief, two, three pages at the most. And in fact, there are some institutions that will, will ask you to submit a resume as opposed to a CV. Because most people want to pack a CV with so much information, maybe every duty and task that they, perf they performed in, in whatever role they, they, they had. So the difference, I think, has to do with the, 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 the content. Yeah, a CV is normally longer. A resume is usually shorter. Interesting. And, and you have obviously been on the other side of you know, those that are employing these um, people applying for these jobs. When you sit there as HR, what are you looking for in a CV or a resume? What, what, what makes the difference between someone who's shortlisted and someone who isn't? 
Normally, the, the starting point is you want to match what you advertised, the attributes that you advertise, versus the attributes that are containing a CV. Now, because of that, sometimes you end up shortlisting people who, are, who cannot match what the job requires because they know that, oh, for me to, to stand a good chance of being shortlisted, I must replicate what is in the advert in my CV so that they think that hey, this person is equal to the task. So normally the basis for shortlisting is the closeness, the extent to which somebody's CV contains what is contained in the, in the job advert. So, so what's your advice to those people who have one CV, they hear this job decide, just send it. They hear this job, just send the same CV all the time. No, 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 no. In fact, what I usually advise people is that uh, you cannot use one CV for five different applications. You must tailor make your CV in order to respond appropriately to the job that has been advertised. Yeah. Interesting. Because different jobs who have different emphasis, who place emphasis on different attributes. Yeah. yeah. Some time back uh, on social media, there was a debate about should you put your picture on your CV? Is it relevant? Usually I would advise people not to. As human beings, you know they say a, th a picture is worth a thousand words. We have a tendency as human beings to judge people on the basis of how they look. Let me give you a very silly example. If I'm a man and I'm shortlisting and then there's a lady there, a lady's picture, and she looks like somebody who, who ditched me five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and probably they, they, they seem to have the same surname. They appear to have the same, same surname. What do you think my, my, my reaction would be? I'm only human, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a tendency to discriminate people on the basis of how they look. Interesting. And, and also, um, because of the high unemployment uh, levels that we did highlight in the beginning, you obviously mentioned there are so many graduates coming out of UNSA and CBU and these private universities yes. that we have around. The competition is very stiff. Yeah, so very some stiff. people are, are then tempted when it comes to applying for jobs. Do you feel people should apply for jobs for which they know they do not meet the qualification? I don't think they should. But I'll give you an example. Sometime about 20 years ago, yes, I started off as a teacher. Then I went into human resource management. I taught for, I mean, I, I, I practiced human resource management for one and a half years. And the National Pension Scheme Authority at that time applied, I mean, advertised for an HR officer. They stipulated that somebody needed to have three years. I had one and a half years. Somehow, I got shortlisted. When I went for the interviews, I attended two interviews. The first interview was a general interview, and then the second interview was at what is known as a competence-based interview. Then the gentleman who was uh, interviewing me said, uh, Mr. Kangwa, of the 10 people that you shortlisted, you are the least experienced. Fortunately, I anticipated that question, and therefore, I was able to respond to because he said, why should we employ you when you are the least qualify or you are the least experienced of the 10 people that you've shortlisted. Yeah. So there are times when you feel strongly that I can do the job because I'll tell you what, what matters is not how long you stay in a job. What matters is your possession of the skills, the required skills for job performance. So sometimes you, you could have worked, you could have been in a job for one and a half years, but you've got the skills that somebody who has been working for 10 years has. 
So it's a yes, no, depending on how you feel. If you feel that you've got the skills to perform that like your job, nobody stops you. You can still apply. Okay. I ended up getting the job. So others, so it, it's a matter of, is it luck, faith? Um, not luck. I would rather say, you know, you attract what you think about. If you feel strongly about something, act on the basis of how you feel, and then positive things will follow you. This happens. It's not just rhetoric. It does happen. You attract what you think about. Good. So now you have applied. You, you now get called. You are sitting there in the job interview. Before you even get into the job interview, how does one prepare for the job interview from home before I actually get into the room? Yeah, one of the things you need to do when you, you are preparing for a job is research the company. If I'm going for a job, I'm, I've applied for a job to join NAPSA, I must make sure that I know what NAPSA stands for in terms of its core business, when it was established, its values. Those are key things that I need to know about the, the institution. When it was established, uh, the, its mandate, and its key values, its core values. That's the minimum that you should know about an organization. And then, the other thing you need to, to know about an organization is, for example, your, the job that you've applied for. What is the salary range? Because I know that this is a tricky question that most people fail to answer. They say, uh, what, what salary are you expecting? Then depending on where you are, if you're at home, I've seen people saying, you know, anything. What do you mean anything? <laughs> Why should you give such an answer? You cannot say anything. It shows that you didn't research. Because if you had researched, for example, you would know that, oh, okay, this particular organization for this particular job, they pay, for example, you can even be sure about the, the, the salary, maybe 15,000 kwacha. But I think for you to look smart, you can say, well, I think anything in the range 12 to 15,000 kwacha, you know that the amount has been covered within that range. Then you also need to find out what is the, the salary range for that job in, within the same industry. You don't want to go and mention a figure like 5,000 kwacha when the organization is able to pay 15,000 kwacha. Or you go and mention an amount like 25,000 kwacha when the salary is 15,000 kwacha. It shows that you didn't, you didn't research. So why are you going for an interview you didn't research? I was, I, I was coaching somebody for interviews a few days ago. On Friday, apparently. He had interviews on Tuesday. So I told him that uh, if you are given short notice and you don't have to, if somebody says, come for interviews tomorrow and you have not prepared, my, my advice is that just say, no, the notice is short. Otherwise, you go and embarrass yourself. I but think the least thing you want to, 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 to go through is that embarrassment of, they ask you a question which you know that this is a very simple question. I could have answered if I, if I had time to, to, to research. So to answer your question, you need to research the company. Know about its mandate. Know about uh, when it was established. Know about its core values. That's the minimum they should know about an organization. The, the thing you mentioned about them inviting you for interviews and then you're not prepared, and then you tell them, you know what, it's short notice, let's reschedule. Some people have been applying for jobs a long time. They've never called you for interviews. The one time they call you <laughs> is short notice, and you even have the luxury of saying, no, let's postpone. People just say, no, I'm coming. No, no, if you, can, if you cannot... Negotiate for a postponement, then don't sleep. Spend the whole night preparing. I think what I'm trying to stress is that preparation is key. Yeah. Don't go for an interview without preparing. You embarrass yourself. And after the interview, you develop a very low self-esteem of yourself. 
Spend the night. Prepare. Research the organization. You, you mentioned research, which uh, you've emphasized quite a number of times. Now, on the salary, how do I do my research about the salary range for a particular job? If, for example, I don't know anyone in that organization, where can I get that information? You know, over the years, I've learned that um, if I wanted to see the Republican president, I think within two, two, three days, I should be able to do it if I really want to. Let me give you an example of something that happened a few days ago. I've got a patient in the cancer disease hospital. Um, he's, he's, he's a colleague, a friend, a brother. I think their machine was down. He couldn't undergo radiotherapy. So he sent me a message after 21 hours to say, address the president. Mr. President, I'm with blah, blah, blah. Then at the end, at, he sends me a second message to say, using your contacts, please, can you ensure that this reaches the president? My first reaction in my mind was, mm, reaching the president, how? Then I realized that I actually know about five members of parliament. Two of them were my juniors at school. Then I also know a minister who was at the same school where I went. Of course, he finished much, much earlier than, uh, than me. So I sent that message to seven different people. MPs, mayor, minister. And then I got three responses. One said, oh, I've forwarded this to the State House uh, media desk. They've acknowledged receipt. Another one says, oh, right away I'm forwarding this to the Minister of Health. Another one said, oh, this has reached uh, the president already. You can use people. There's a way you can achieve something if you want to. If you, want, if you, if you really want something, you can get it. Now, now this Information brings, is out there. Yeah, this, this brings me now to the conversation people have about in Zambia, for you to get a job, you need connections. No. And, and, Maybe and, yes, but not all the time. When I, when I talk about connections, um, most people mistake networking for connections. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. Yeah. How, how, like, first of all, how can you make your network work for you? You know people, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You want to get from point A to point B. Sometimes they're moving from unemployment to looking for a job, or you're in a job you don't like, you want to get a better job. How do you leverage a network? Um, when I was uh, studying for my uh, master's in human resource management, one of the courses I did was called Influence. And what I'll never forget about that course was the statement that uh, one good turn deserves another. Then another statement made in the, the study pack that I was reading said, um, the best way to influence somebody is by beginning to do something that works for them, something that benefits them. So if I want to influence you, to make you feel like you owe me, I should do something that will benefit you. Now, naturally, as a human being, you start looking for an opportunity to do something as a way of paying back. Now, networking. There are people who I belong to the Zambia Institute of Human Resource Management. I'm, I also, I'm also a fellow of the Institute of Directors. You don't just become a member and then you... You behave like you're on ice. Interact. I joined there for myself for networking purposes. All you need to target is that, okay, I'm going to know, like, there's an AGM. I must meet five people that I've never spoken to. Each of those five probably knows 10 other people 
who can give you some benefit somehow in the long run. So if I know you, for example, there are five people connected to you who can put me in good stead. People can benefit me. So when you belong to an organization, target to know five people that you've never known. Get to know them at a personal level. Then through them, you get to other people who you may want to contact. If, for example, you, you know some minister who I don't know and I can't contact, I can still get to that minister through you. So networking is very, very key. And one, one of the things I'll tell you is that uh, I always tell people, if I'm a natural practitioner like me, I don't just have to belong to the Human Resources Institute. I also, belong, I also need to belong to another association. Because my assumption is that people in HR know the same people that I know. If I want to know people outside my, my professional circle, I need to belong to another association so that I tap into that network as well. That's a good point. Eh? That's yeah. a good way of looking at it. So now, now um, you go into a job interview. If they ask you a question that you don't know, like, like honestly, you can try and think as much as you can, but you just, you just don't know. You don't know the answer. Yeah. What do you do? Do you tell them I don't know? Or you try and look smart? What do you do? Guesswork is not good. You only guess if you've got an idea. Just say, yeah, I'm not sure, but maybe my hunch tells me that, is it something to do with this? I'm not sure. But where you are completely not sure, just own up. Say, hmm, that one is something new to me. I think I've never done it. I believe since, since I'm a first learner, it's something that I believe I can, I can learn when, I, when I'm on the job. But okay. also I tell people that when you are in an interview and then they ask you something that you don't know, uh, you want to make a claim that you are a first learner. Don't just end there. Make a claim that you are a first learner. Also demonstrate. Talk about an instance where something was completely new and you ended up learning in a short time. So whatever claim you make, you say, I'm hardworking. I'm a first learner. Substantiate it. Demonstrate how much of hard work. What do you mean when you say you're a hard worker? Because everyone who goes to an interview will make certain claims. <laughs> no, I'm a hard worker. No, I'm outgoing. I'm this, I'm that. What to make the difference is how you substantiate the claim that you're making. That's a good one. Because everybody says, no, I'm a hard worker. I work well under pressure. I yeah. what, what, what? Demonstrate. Give an instance where you worked under pressure. Okay, so some people get lucky, okay? Um, they go for a job interview, they, they, they get the job. But mostly, sometimes people are like applying multiple positions in different organizations. So when I get lucky and I get an offer from this company, at the same time, I get another offer. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with these offers? How do I... Because in the long run, you don't want to be on bad footing with this organization mm -hmm. because you want to make these ones happy, okay? okay. So then how do you make sure that... If I turn down this offer, I may in the future come back, as opposed to like making it look like, ah, you guys, you can, you know, I've already, I'm happy this side. And how do I deal with two job offers? Let's get back to the issue of values. Each of us needs to have values, and these values will be ranked. As far as I'm concerned, number one, this is what our family, number two, jobs, number three, have a list of values. Is what we call values hierarchy. Yeah. Values will be not be, you will not rank your values at the same uh, rank. Now, when you get two job offers, these are totally two different um, institutions in most cases, different institutions, 
different salary, uh, different vision, different mission, different uh, core values. So you assess what you stand for versus what uh, these institutions stand for. Are your values in sync with institution number one? Or they are more in sync with institution number two? Salary, what are you looking for? Are you looking for, let me give you an example. If, if, if it's, you are looking for sound experience, Sometimes I tell people that if you are starting out as a young graduate from college, from university, and then there are two opportunities. There's a big organization like Zesco. And this, there's a smaller, smaller institution, but stable. I usually encourage people to go for the smaller institution. The reason is simple. That's just my personal view. People who work for smaller institutions tend to do much more beyond the boundaries offered by the uh, job descriptions. If you work for a big organization, you did a CCA, and then you are, you, are, you, are, you are told you'll be payroll accountant. Ten years, you're just handling payroll. Somebody with a CCA or even lesser qualification is working for a smaller institution. He's handling so many functions within the, the, the accountants. When there's a job Another opening elsewhere. Both of them um, present themselves for interviews. Chances are that the person who has worked for a smaller institution who has been exposed to many more functions will perform much better than the person who has only been confined to one type of accounts, for example. Maybe he's just doing reconciliation for 10 years or just payroll. So I think there are a number of things that you need to compare. One other thing I'll tell you is that in some institutions, some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller. You find that uh, you've been employed as HR manager. HR manager, you are doing training. You're also doing um, industrations. Uh, so many things huh? in one job. Yeah. Then you've, been also, you've also been at the same time offered a job in an institution where as HR manager, you only focus on probably just training or just recruitment. My view is that why not go for the job which is richer in content? So it gives you a more rounded experience than where you are just going to get narrowed to, 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 to one function. So there are a number of factors that you need to consider before you, 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 you take up a, a, a job offer. Okay. If it's just one job offer, of course, you have no choice. Yeah. It's one out of one. But if there are two, I think there are a number of parameters that you need to, to look at before you can if, decide If you're not job. happy with the, the salary offer for this job, you didn't know. You, when they asked you, 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 you did your research, but you were wrong, and you get the job, and the salary is below what you expected. What do you do? It's the only, it's, it's the only institution that has yes, offered just you one a institution. job? Yes, just one company offers you a job, but you're not happy with the salary. Let, let, let me... It may not just be salary. It may be many other things. Sometime in 1995, if I'm not mistaken, 95, 96, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, a new graduate from the University of Zambia, he did a Bachelor of uh, Mass Communications. I think he stayed at home after graduating two years, no job opportunity. Then he got a job offer to go and work under the Ministry of Community Development in Chama District. No power. When he told his uh, uncle about it, the uncle said, ah, no, just stick around. you find something better. When he consulted me, I told him that you cannot give up what you have, hoping to have something better. Take up this job. When you get a better one, you can leave this one. So I always tell people, it, 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 it should be salary. It might be the environment. 
if there's only one offer, you take it. And you see, the way life is, life is not a straight line. Sometimes what appears to be unattractive could actually be your entry point to something greater. And what I know about the job market is that it's easier to get a job when you're already in a job. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> if you come for, 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 for interviews and then we ask you, where are you working? We take it that you are in tune with the latest trends. You are active. Your mind is active. You, you have fresh experience than somebody who is at home. So when there's one job offer, why do you want to turn it down? Take it, even if you are not completely happy. And by the way, you can never be completely happy in any job. That's what I know. I always tell people that there's no perfect job, there's no perf perfect organization. <laughs> because, I mean, organizations are made up of people. Yeah. So how do you expect these, an organization to be perfect when you yourself, you're not perfect? Because if, if me, I'm not perfect, I'm joining an organization with 500 people. 500 imperfect people. But I expect the organization to be perfect. Even you, me as an individual, I'm not perfect. So we need to increase our tolerance levels. There's no perfect organization. Instead, what you need to do is just heighten your emotional intelligence. Know how to interact with people. How do you work in an organization? How do you work with people? Imperfect people, as imperfect as you are. Okay, very quickly, before I go further in the conversation, I want you to highlight, these are some common interview questions um, that you find. First of all, they ask questions like, what is your weakness? What do you tell them? I talked about that question when I was coaching somebody on Friday. But I told him that um, when I used to attend interviews, I no longer attend interviews. <laughs> when I used to attend interviews, the question I would give, and in more cases than 90% of the time, I would go scotch free. I would say, like every human being, and I would say that deliberately because that includes the panelists. Yeah. I say like every human being, I have weaknesses. But I don't think I have any weakness that impacts negatively on my job. Interesting. So sometimes I will, they would let me. But others would want to insist. They would want to say, no, give us one weakness. Hey, give us one week. Then I'll mention something. Now, whatever weakness you choose. Now, before I talk about that, before you go for a job interview, think about that question and prepare an answer about your weakness, about your strength. Now, when you give a particular weakness, don't end there. That's what I tell people, the, the people that I coach uh, for interviews. Give a weakness and talk about how you are addressing it. People will know that, oh, okay, he admits, he acknowledges that he has this weakness and he's doing something about it. So talk about the weakness, but talk about the steps that you, are, you have taken to address the weakness. Okay, and if they ask you, why do you want to join this organization? Of course, you can't tell them that you, you, are, you are joining them for money. <laughs> Again, if you have researched the company, you know about their core values, you can talk about, I think I've found out, in fact, that's an opportunity for you to shine, to show them that you've researched the organization. Talk about the mandate, how you are so passionate about um, what they do. Talk about how your, your, your personal values 
are in tandem with their, 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 their core values. Those are the things that, that, that will show that you are really interested in working for this organization. Okay, and when I ask you why should we hire you and not uh, the next person? Uh -huh. Why should we hire you? Basically, you talk about how your personal attributes match the, 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 the requirements of the job. That's why they're hiring you. What is, it, what is it about you that will benefit the organization and the job? And also talk about the culture, how your culture, your personal culture, fits into the culture of the organization. You must have found out something about uh, the organizational culture. That's why I keep talking about uh, research. Do your research. So they should hire you because you do not just fit the job, you also fit the organization, organizational culture. And because of your work ethic. And you demonstrate how the organization stands to benefit by hiring you. Talk about your skills. Talk about how you have achieved where you have worked. And therefore, you are, you, you, you are bound. If you have achieved previously, you can use this, your skills, your experience, your strengths to benefit this particular organization. That's why they should hire you. Okay. It's the same thing as sometimes they can ask you a question to say, tell us about yourself. This is a question that has been mishandled by, by many people. Talk about yourself does not mean now you talk about where you started from grade one up to three <laughs> because my father was a teacher. We are transferred uh, to another province and I from grade four to six, just in the middle of grade six, I also moved. No, 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 no. It refresh that question. In fact, I tell people that when they ask you a question in the interviews, ask yourself before you respond, why are they asking me this question? Then respond. When they say, talk about yourself, tell us briefly about yourself. You, you should tell yourself, uh, you should ask yourself the same question, paraphrase it. What is it about me that the job requires and the organization requires? Then respond. Do not rush into answering before you understand why they're asking you a question. Okay, so you, 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 you pass through the interview, you get the job, you are now in the organization. And then you get to realize that you are working with this boss after some time, a few months, and it's just a difficult boss. It's, some people just mean. They just want to make your life difficult. And everything you do is not good enough for them. You just have a bad boss in general. How do you navigate such a working environment? The starting point is um, look at yourself. In every dispute, every conflict, I believe that uh, the parties have contributed or do contribute. Whether it sounds nice or not, in every conflict, there's a role that the, 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 the parties contribute. So look at your, your, yourself. How could I have contributed to this conflict? How could I have com contributed to this frosty um, or toxic work relationship? And then see how you can address that. Then, also, learn how to manage your boss. Be emotionally intelligent. Read about emotional intelligence. Take time to reflect on things that happened before uh, between you and your boss. Why did he, he react like that? Or what did I say? What, what could have triggered that? And then in many cases, there are people who are moody, unfortunately. They are moody. Yeah. Look, at, look, look for an opportunity when you think they, they are happy. And then you, you approach them. Oh, 
sir, you know that day, I know you said this. Okay, I just wanted to understand. I want to improve. I want to, to make sure that um, I contribute to a healthy work environment. I don't want to, to be a bad employee. I don't want to be a bad subordinate. What is it that you expect me, maybe probably, what areas can I improve on? Where am I not doing well? If you have got a normal boss, somebody who is sane, they will begin to realize. Make that a habit. After some time, again, he behaves in a different... Uh, in, see how you can mend that relationship. If you are not getting anywhere, now go to the grievance um, handling procedure. What does your grievance handling procedure say about how to handle grievances? But the starting point is see, look at yourself, how could I have contributed to this conflict? And then address those areas. Then also take a, a step. Approach the boss. So I've noticed, uh, you know, that day, don't generalize. Say, sir, you are very harsh with me. No, no. Um, pinpoint situations. You remember, sir, that day when I came into your office, you shouted at me. I just wanted to understand where was that coming from? What did I, where did I go wrong? I want to make sure that, thing, that sort of thing doesn't happen again. Sometimes people or bosses, the so-called bad bosses, don't know how they come out or how they come across. What they may need is feedback. So give people feedback. When you give people feedback, they begin to address their own issues. Now, feedback is like, I see you with raised collars. Huh? Collar, your collars. I shouldn't assume that uh, you don't know that they're raised. Because if I assume that you don't know, I'll come and drop them. Huh? Yeah, I'll drop them for you. The best I can do is figuratively raise a mirror. Then, you, oh, oh, so that you drop them on, on your own. So that is feedback. When you give them feedback, that's when they know, oh, okay. Oh, so what I said upset him. Oh, okay, I think next time I'll, I'll be more milder in terms of how I respond. Okay. And one of the other common problems um, in the workplace when it comes to um, subordinate uh, superior relationships is that there are some subordinates who do very good work, but your boss always takes credit. And you are in an organization where they don't even notice your effort because your boss is the one who's always taking the credit. You do a report, you know, the CEO likes it, but you never even get feedback, no, 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 no commendation, nothing, because everything they think is your boss who's doing it. How do you deal with that? First of all, where, who do you want to give you credit? Your boss's boss? I just want to understand. In terms of, so you want to be recognized that, okay, he's doing the work, <laughs> is, maybe the seniors in the organization, the man, senior management, you know, people up there. Your because time. ultimately in the future, when they want to promote, mm -hmm. how can they promote you when they don't even know what to do? <laughs> you get your point. When your boss is always taking credit, so you are very insignificant in the equation. The truth of the matter is that you work for your boss. You don't work for your organization, you actually work for your boss. That's how come what can make you resign from an organization is not necessarily, or at least most of the time, it's your boss. People run away from their bosses. They do not run away from the institution. This is the person that you work with um, uh, on, on a daily basis. Now, if you wanted to 
go behind his back and start talking to his colleagues that actually that report he, uh, <laughs> it was done by me. You know what will happen? They will tell him. They will tell him you're very, very upset because when you submitted that report, you remember you did the report under his supervision. Yes. And when you submitted that report to him, there's, a, there's somewhere where you left out a comma and he added, he added that comma. So he owned the document. It's his uh, accountability. So your time will come. Just chill. Your time will come when other people also wait for you. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes, sometimes with other people, for example, it's ideas. You know, it, this was your idea. Um, and you, 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 the idea works, the company makes money, but you, you were never mentioned. Don't worry. You see, life has a way of um, paying you back. There will come a time when your boss is probably indisposed for whatever reason, he's not in the office, and then you are given an opportunity to act. And people will know who does the work. I've worked for a number of three major organizations. In one institution, uh, I remember uh, I would do a piece of work, submit to my uh, supervisor, and then my supervisor's colleagues would come back to me. That, uh, that was a wonderful report. I said, which one? Or the one that your boss uh, presented. We know it was done by you. Yeah, but don't make a mistake of going behind your boss's boss. Or your, 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 behind your boss, rather. And then say, that thing over which he or she made a name, it was actually done by me. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, you cannot suppress good works. Good works will get to be known. Time will only, just wait for time. Time will, will vindicate you. Yeah. And then yeah. also, there are some people who find themselves in organizations where there is either little to limited growth, um, sometimes mostly it's in the civil service, yes. where unless someone dies, you know, mm. or unless someone leaves, mm. that's when there's some opportunity for you to, to go up. How, 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 how do you advise people about such organizations? Usually what I tell people is that, um, you know, unfortunately, in this part of the world, we tend to think that success is a limited commodity. The more Suwilanji has of this commodity, the less I'll have. No. Success is not a limited commodity. And there's no one way of getting to, to the top. If I'm on this ladder and I'm not getting to the top because the person who is right in front of me is stuck, they're not moving up. What stops me from coming down and getting onto another ladder? That's I don't want to give specifics, but um, these, things are, these are things that I've experienced in my life where you think, ah, here is a dead end. I can't go up any further because the person who is uh, in front of me has been retained, retained in terms of the conditions they are enjoying. They are not living on their own until retirement. But then I'm burning with uh, ambition. I need to move. I'll simply say, okay, what else? I come down. I'll, I'll start preparing myself. In my working life, there have been instances where I've attended courses at my cost to prepare myself for other opportunities, which your boss may not even have. An opportunity arises, come down this ladder, go get onto another ladder, and then somehow you end up being your, 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 your boss's boss. You know, let me, let me tell you something. I've ended up being um, on an inter serving on an interview panel to interview somebody who was my boss. How'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> so such is life. Yeah. 
networking, belong to different organizations, also uh, empower yourself with uh, training opportunities. You see, don't make your personal development a responsibility of your employer. Your personal development is your responsibility. If you've seen there's a course going on and your employer is not willing or prepared to send you, probably they think it's your boss who should go there. Nobody stops you from using your personal resources. After all, that knowledge when you acquire it or that skill is with you. It's yours. No one will get it away from you. And it prepares you for future opportunities. You can prepare yourself in many ways. And if you want to get to it, you will get to the top. Not necessarily where you are to say, I must rise in this organization. If there are no opportunities, come down that ladder, get onto another ladder. You still rise. Interesting. And then there are others in the private sector where there's a whole, you know, growth trajectory. You see how you can rise and there's mm -hmm. so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. But you find someone, for example, in a bank has been a tailor five years, they're not moving. What is wrong with such people? How do such people then begin to, you know, shake themselves and make some changes? Sometimes, um, I've shared this with my, my own relatives that uh, I, I, I tend to think that ambition is a gift. Ambition is a gift. Not everyone has it. There are people not ambitious at all. Yeah. They are okay as long as they're in a job, they're getting a salary, it's okay. Some of the people have not risen because they don't have that, that, that drive to, 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 to succeed, to progress. So there are people who will be there, even when there's an opportunity, for example, within, within the institution to say maybe an advert is, um, a job is advertised, a hard job is advertised. They will come up with all sorts of reasons why they shouldn't apply. <laughs> they will say, ah, I know this job, it has all been given to somebody. It's not easy. We can't get it, us. Who stops you from showing interest, expressing interest? Even if one part of your brain is telling you that this job has already been given to somebody else. Show interest. Wow. Uh, and then also, the other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about is how, how, how do you deal with conflict with your co-workers, for example, where you're always differing, you never seem to be on the same page, you're part of a team, but there's just that friction that makes it hard for the work to get done. How do you deal with, you know, such kind of conflict? Because you spend the major time, part of your time at work, and some people just leaving home is just a sort of, I have to deal with John, oh, and then that one, and then, how do you deal with that? I'm assuming you're working in a team, and then there's a, there's a lot of toxicity in the team. Who are you answerable to? Who is, who, who is responsible for, for that team? Some, some of, most of these things must be, must be brought to the attention of the, the team lead so that they see how they can, because they've got, they've got the position and the power, yeah. and therefore, most, more likely, they can deal with it. It's, 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 it's not an easy matter for you to deal with your fellow subordinates. You can if you and them are probably equally emotionally intelligent. You understand your emotions and therefore you know what to do or you know the effect of what you do, the effect, that, the effect of what you do on them. But in many cases, you find that you'll be at different levels of emotional intelligence. Maybe some of them have, some of you have egos which are too big. Yeah. You then need to bring uh, this kind of scenario to the attention of the person who is, um, who is supposed to be supervising you. All right. And if you've worked for 
a significant period of time in organization X, either in the private sector, in government, or in the power state, or how do you know that, okay, I think now I should make the move. Let me leave. Let me go do something else. Ambition. Ambition. Ambition is not a destination. It's a process. When you... When you succeed, so, okay, this year, last year, I, I aimed to uh, publish one book. When I published, I said, ah, next year I must do more. Six weeks ago, I published one book. I'm about to publish another one in the next four weeks. I've been working on another the, the book that I talked about. Yeah, this one. 12 Keys to a Decent uh, retirement. retirement. As soon as this is done, before the end of the year, I must do another one. I've got outlines for these. So you can tell. The moment you, you reach one, you succeed in one thing. You want to say, what next now? I've published one. I need to go to the second one. I need to go to the third one. And you, you should continue dreaming. You are never too old to dream afresh. You should continue dreaming all the time. I don't know how some people manage to be in one place or one position for 20 years, they must re-examine their, their sense of ambition. Everybody must be ambitious. You want to do better. You want to grow as an individual. A human being is working in progress all the time. But if you have been at the same level for so many years, what are you doing to yourself, to, to, even to your mind? It feels good to progress. It feels good to achieve. So why do you allow yourself to be in one position for, for too long? Sometimes, again, we limit ourselves. I had a boss who would say, why are you putting obstacles in your own path? Sometimes, and many times, people put obstacles in their own path. Ah, I think I will. Ten years before retirement, ah, okay, I can't go because they always come up with reasons. Because if you want to progress, ask yourself, is progression only in this organization or I can progress by joining the organization across the road? So have this ambition. Yeah, so you can tell. I think I've been here for too long. This same, I think I've developed enough skills to be able to operate at a higher level. Why do you want to do injustice to yourself by being stuck and thinking it's okay here? It means you're not ambitious. Ambition. Okay, and then uh, the other question I wanted to ask is, there are sometimes in an organization where um, some employees are very effective, they're very efficient, they get things done, especially in the private sector. Like, you can always count on them. If you wanted to get done, you will count on Justin. Justin is a guy for you. And as a result, most of those employees become overworked because the supervisor always comes to John. I mean, Justin. Every time it's Justin, just, Justin. And then Justin has burnout. How do you, I don't know if I, if I can say, how do you avoid that? Because I, again, I'm not proposing that you become lazy so they don't count on you. But how, how do you deal with that? Where you are- As the employees who is overworked. Yes. Do you go to complain to your boss and say, I'm doing too much? No, one of the things I, I, I encourage organizations, even in, in employees, is that uh, they should trigger the implementation of some kind of performance management system. So that, you know, you, you, you want to, to know that what I'm doing is counting in my favor. If I perform this particular task, Okay, let me, let me tell you, both of us have the same job. I'm doing more work, 
you are doing less work, but you have the same salary. What will happen? I was lucky. Why should I put in so much when uh, him, the guy, will just come play computer games, output 50% of what I do? I also slacken. Now, to avoid that sort of thing, employers are encouraged to put in place, implement a performance management system that will ensure that people have, everybody sets performance objectives. And those performance objectives must be linked to the corporate uh, corporate um, strategy uh, objectives. Yeah. So at whatever you do, has an impact on the corporate objectives. If you don't do it, it has an impact. If you do it, it has an impact. Positive or negative impact. So, when there's a performance management system, I think issues of uh, overworking one worker from another will not arise. And the other challenge that most uh, managers have is how do you manage an ineffective employee? You've got this guy, he, yeah, he got the job, but it's either he does it wrong or he's lazy or he makes mistakes or he's, He's just not at the level of productivity that's required for the job. A few weeks ago, I'm sure you're aware, I had a training with one institution on uh, implementation of a performance management system. So what I told them is that once you set performance objectives, everybody will be answerable for certain performance objectives which they've signed off at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the calendar year. Those who do not meet their object, performance objectives consistently for two years. Too consistent. Uh, this year, this guy doesn't meet objective. Next year, this guy doesn't meet. The first thing that management should do is try and help that person. Because some inability to meet performance objectives could be a sign of incompetence. Could be, as I'm saying, could be. Not always a sign of incompetence. Sometimes people are competent, but they're simply not performing. Because of other factors, you need to investigate. What, what is it? What is causing this employee's uh, incompetence or uh, inability to perform? If it's incompetence, you know how to, to, to address it. Maybe help put somebody, do some coaching, some mentoring, put somebody on a perf um, personal development plan and see if they improve. If they don't improve, two consecutive years aren't performing. I was encouraging the other institution that in that case, you just say this is incompetence. It must be a chargeable offense. Write to them why they should, why they should not be disciplined for incompetence. Then they'll be shown the door. Why should you allow passengers? Five years, someone is just getting inside. You, you, are, you are just, you are comfortable. You are okay with it. Uh, no, that one, that, just leave him. He's like that. Five years? No, come on. Are you running an NGO? No. Doing an NGO, I mean, people must be answerable. So don't carry passengers in an organization. If somebody is not performing, they must be disciplined. Have used the, the relevant provisions of the, the Code of Discipline. In, one, in most institutions, uh, incompetence is a chargeable offense. Two consecutive years, you're not exceeding your targets. There must be something wrong with you. Why do you want to burden those who are hard workers? Okay, as, as, as we come to an end, Mr. Kangwa, what would you say are your top five pieces of advice to people in the workplace? The first one is to remember that uh, employment is not for life. <laughs> okay. One day you exit. So prepare for life after your employment. Very important. It may look very far. And that's how come, you know, in the book that I'll, I'll be, that I briefly talked about, uh, 
which I'll be launching at the Lusaka show apparently. I've, I've already obtained a stand. I've, I've, I've divided retirement into three phases. Is what they call the first phase, the twilight. You know, when retirement looks very far like a mirage, as if it will never come to pass. If you are careful, that's the time that you, you need to start preparing. Then there's a time just before retirement and a few years into retirement, I call that the transition. And then there will be a time when nobody wants to employ you because you are too old. That's called the deep. So I think the key thing is that when you remember that employment is not for life, one day you exit when you reach retirement age. I know, uh, you know, I've, I've worked long enough. A number of people have come to the HR department to, uh, with the new analysis. Uh, <laughs> go back and say, no, uh, when I got my NRC, I was living with an uncle. So my age was increased by two. Otherwise, I'm two years younger than what it shows. Then they get a new NRC. Now, even that two years they have, I call them the best years. <laughs> even that two years that they've added will soon come to pass. And then they find that they are still not ready. So I think the key thing that everybody who's in employment should think about is that one day they will retire. So they need to start preparing. Then secondly, people in employment should know that what they are doing at work, the skills that they are acquiring, in most cases, will be required after, after they leave employment. Some of those skills can be converted to a sources of income. Then three, Try and nurture your passions. There are those passions that you can convert to a sense of income. Find time for those passions. You can't just focus on your job 24-7 as if the, the organization was meant for you only. You don't knock off. You only change working places. <laughs> you leave work at 20 hours. You go home. You continue working. Your children start calling you Uncle Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> They are more familiar with their uncle because they see him all the time. You, they really see you. You leave home before they, they, they wake up. You go back home when they are sleeping. So nurse your passions. Find time for your passions. I think those are the top three I can give you. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Kanga, for your time. So you've got the other book. Uh, I've seen the 12 Secrets to um, Go to Public Speaker. Uh, and uh, Yeah, this yeah. was the first one. Okay. 12 Secrets to Becoming a Go to Confident Speaker. Then I, I, I published this one six weeks ago, 12 case studies in public management. And then this one is coming out in the next uh, three weeks. I'll be launching it at the Lusaka Commercial and Agriculture Show, 12 Keys to a Decent Retirement. This is a must read for everybody, those in employment and those who are already At retired. what age do you advise people to retire? You have to wait for the 65. Okay, L let, me, let me tell you this. I retired at 48. And how's that going for you? Huh? How did you prepare for that? Yes. I started preparing eight years before. Yeah. Okay. So if you can prepare, if you can exit from employment before your retirement age, the better. I'll tell you what. Next month, I'll be clocking five years in retirement from a formal job. There are some things that you cannot do at the age of 60. You are leading a very soft life. 
working from an air-conditioned office. Then at 60, you want to be unkind to yourself? Say, let me go farming. Are you sure? At 60? <laughs> yeah, I've had that conversation before. So there are some things that you can only do when you are physically and mentally energetic. Yeah. Thank you very much for the insights. Yeah, so are you on social media? Like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I've got a uh, Facebook page, Justin Kangwa, JK Reloaded. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> JK Reloaded. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so thank you very much to him for the time. Um, obviously, we'll call upon you sometime in the future. Uh, always, always good having these conversations with you, and uh, there's always so much to learn. I think I'll, I'll, I'll replay this episode in my head, uh, you know, just to remind myself of some of the important things in terms of aspects to employment and, you know, all that jargon around. No, it's it. always my pleasure again to, to sit down with you and chat. Yeah, no, yeah. it's good. It's good. And I know that uh, also our audience <laughs> have, have learned a lot. Yeah, so that's where our conversation comes to an end. Um, like I said, you can follow him on his Facebook page. I'm sure there are insights there. Obviously, the details um, about the books and also, like, and then also the one thing I want to know is, so what do you do? Do you, like you said, you, you mentioned that you are coaching someone for a job interview. Is that something that you do? Yes, I do that. Yes. Yeah. So anyone can just call you and you come Anybody, and coach them? yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm only a phone call away. Is it fine if we share your number with the people? Oh, yeah, it's fine, yeah. All right, we'll, we'll put your number on the screen so that they are able to reach you. Otherwise, thank you so much. Uh, so, guys, remember to like, um, subscribe, and also share the video um, so that every time a new video is out, you do not miss out on anything. This is where uh, this week's uh, GPS episode comes to an end. We're back uh, next week with another um, edition of the podcast. There's so much to learn, and we hope that uh, you will be there next week as well. Otherwise, thank you for your time.